Christmas is time for wonder. One of the things that I enjoy perhaps most about Christmas is seeing little kids' responses to the things around them. This is a, a picture of a, a friend of mine, fellow minister, his, his grandson, um, just enamored with that Christmas ornament. Um, I remember Lauren's, probably her second Christmas. Um, we had just moved into a new house, and um, we decided that year we weren't going to wrap her presents. We were just going to put them all under the tree after while she, when she went to bed that night. And she got up the next morning, came in, went straight to her breakfast seat, sat down, and started eating, and then she started looking around, and it caught her eye. Her, her response was, what's that? Just so full of amazement and wonder. And that's what Christmas is supposed to be about. It is a story, a recollection of God's amazing plan. God's purpose for humanity played out in the most unexpected of ways. So much about Christmas that is surprising. So much about Christmas that is wonderful and amazing. As we move, continue to move through the messages of the angels that are contained in the Christmas narratives, we come to Matthew chapter 1. And the angel's discussion with Joseph. We looked at the discussion with Zechariah, the discussion with Mary. Today we come to this discussion with Joseph. And I think perhaps of all the individuals, Joseph had to be the one who was most perhaps perplexed. By the whole situation. It wasn't him directly that was necessarily involved as it as seems in many levels. And yet he does play a, a, a key role in the narrative in the story, as we'll see. And, and I think part of my fascination with, with Joseph is he's probably the one individual that of all the characters. As a father, I kind of connect with. What would I have thought? What would I have considered? The angel comes to me and tells me these things. As Jesus is born and begins to grow, and I know I bear a responsibility. making him, keeping him safe in some ways, for making sure that he's following the outlines of Scripture in terms of my role as an obedient parent. Just the thought, this is the Son of God. And God has given me this responsibility. 
And as I dwell on that and I think about that and, and consider those realities, I, I then turn to myself and I ask, have I given thought to my responsibility as a Christian, as a believer some 2,000 years later in terms of how I present Jesus and how I present his gospel, his calling, his claim on my life. As I go through the steps of Christmas, as I go through the buying of gifts and the planning of different events and so forth, have I maintained, do I keep the wonder of Christmas? Do I contemplate Think about the amazing nature of all, all that is contained in the story and the narrative. Let's take a look at what the angel has to say to Joseph. And perhaps in our examination, regain some of the wonder of what it is that God exactly did. When Jesus became man. Beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your plan, your wondrous, overwhelming plan to save humanity. Thank you for sending your son to dwell amongst us, to live as we live, to experience what we experience, not so that you may grow and learn, Lord, but so that we may truly understand your deep love for us and the fact that you do know us better than we know ourselves. God, we pray that as we look at these words today, that you would fill us with the wonder of what you've accomplished. And you would fill us with the conviction of what we should 
be and what we should do. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. The angel has some very clear, important things to say about who Jesus is. About his nature, his essence, his character. So we want to look at these, these words of the angel concerning Jesus, concerning who he is. And the first thing that we see, the first thing we come to understand, is that the wonder of Jesus is wrapped up in the fact that he is the fulfillment of a promise. Promises are big. When you make a promise to somebody, you are putting yourself on the line. You're, you're, you're connecting with them. It's more than just a statement of outcome. It's more than just, I've said this, so therefore this is going to happen. It's an investment of who you are in their future. It's a commitment you're making to, to see where they're at become where they need to be. It's a part of a relationship. It's a part of a journey. And so when we look at the Old Testament, we look at the promises of God there. It's not simply God saying, this is what's going to happen in the future. It's God saying, I'm going to journey with you as a people. I'm going to journey with you as my creation. I'm going to journey with you as image bearers to see you become who you were meant to be, to see you experience what you were meant to experience. And to help you understand who I am in a deeper, more rich way. We were built for relationship with God. When we were created, he made us in his image. And as we look at scripture, the passages are very clear that that image persists. Even after the fall, God's image is still embedded in us. It's a part of who, how we're made. And so to hear his words, to hear his promises, is to, is to experience not just this certain outcome, but to experience him. And you see the angel here drawing on that promise in a couple of ways. First of all, when he speaks to Joseph, what does he call him? Joseph, son of David. Now, I wonder how that hit Joseph in, in that moment. Surely he knew he was a descendant of David. Surely he knew his background, his family genealogy and so forth. That was a part of their life, part of their experience, part of their identity. He knew which tribe he come, come from, and he would know yeah, we come from the line of David. But to hear an angel utter it this way had to hit him in a significant way. Joseph, in, in, in a different environment, in a different situation, in a different circumstance, you might be a king. Had the kings of Israel and the people of Judah not sinned and rebelled against God, had they not turned away from God's call and claim and place on his life, Joseph 
You'd be in Jerusalem. Perhaps on the throne. Instead of from backwater Nazareth. And so the words are a reminder. The words are a challenge. Joseph, are you going to be different than your ancestors? When God sent Isaiah to Ahaz, we see in Isaiah 7 through 12 that whole book of Emmanuel where Isaiah is interacting with King Ahaz and he's, he's trying to get him to, to have faith. Faith that God would deliver Judah from the attack from the north. Israel and, and Syria were marching against Judah to try and get them to submit to a, an alliance so that they could face up against Assyria. And Ahaz had correctly said, no, I don't want to have any part of that. He had listened to the prophet in that sense. But now these armies are marching against him, and their goal is to replace him on the throne and he's in a panic. What do I do? And God sends Isaiah to Ahaz to say, just have faith. Just have confidence. Just know that God can deliver you from this moment, that God has a plan for you as a descendant of David, as a person who sits on the throne, a person of the promise person in the line, moving toward the Messiah. You have that place, that position. Just have confidence. And Ahaz refused. He refused to listen to God. He refused to follow God's advice. And so Isaiah said, therefore, because of your disbelief, the throne of David will be vacated for a time. There's one who's coming who will fulfill it ultimately and eternally, but your sin has led to a, to a situation, a circumstance, to where the throne is going to be vacated. And a little over a century later, it was. Jerusalem fell to Babylon in 587 B.C. From that point forward, there wasn't a king who sat on the throne of Israel. In the line of David, fulfilling the call, fulfilling the leadership that God intended him to have. But there was one coming. Why was there one coming? There was one coming because God is faithful to his promises. When God says he's going to do something, when God expresses his commitment to a person, to a people, to a circumstance, to a situation, God's going to see it through. And he promised that even though Ahaz has sinned, and that would have dire consequences on the throne of David, that one day one would come who would be wonderful counselor, everlasting father, my God, Prince of Peace. One is coming who would restore the fortunes of God's people. 
And so as he speaks to Joseph here through this angel, he says what? Joseph, son of David, are you going to be different from Ahaz? Are you going to have faith? Because Joseph was at a crossroads too. He had this woman that he was betrothed to, promised to, who from outward appearances had brought shame on him and on his family. He had a choice to make. How am I going to respond to this? How am I going to deal with her? How am I going to deal with the circumstance? And though he's a just man, a righteous man, as we'll look at here in a little bit, he also is driven by some of his own concerns. So the angel says, Joseph, this is your chance to act in faith. This is your chance to respond to the situation in a way that doesn't make sense to to humanity. This is your chance to move beyond that, to see the wonder of this moment, to realize, as verse 18 says, that this Jesus is coming is what? He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. And as I stop and look at Jesus, all that he is, all that he came to do, I can't help but be filled with wonder at all the promises that God fulfilled in one person himself. Thousands of years of expectations. Not just specific promises, but a relational reality between God and Israel. Fulfilled in one man. Fulfilled in one baby and one infant. The wonder of that, the, 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 the audacity of God to, to do something so big and so grand and yet so simple. It's mind-blowing. The second thing that the angel tells us is that Jesus is the work, the presence of God himself. He says what? That that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see the, the work of all three persons of the Trinity here. The will of the Father, the one who has planned, the one who has organized, the one who has brought all time together for this moment. Scripture, the New Testament, reminds us repeatedly that it was at the perfect time in history that Jesus came. A few years earlier, a couple decades earlier, Rome's not in control of the world. The world is divided and a mess. 
the word won't spread like it needs to. A couple centuries later, Rome has collapsed under its own weight of corruption, confusion. A couple decades later, Jerusalem itself has collapsed and been destroyed. There's no place for a king to be to rise or to be observed at any time in there. This is the moment in history when Jesus can come, when Jesus can live, when Jesus can serve, when Jesus can be crucified, raised again, and that his church's message can spread throughout the world because of all the, the things that Rome had accomplished in, in making that possible. God, the Father, has planned all this out. He's seen it all. He has brought it all together for this moment. God, the Holy Spirit, working within the womb of Mary to, to cause the child to be conceived, child to exist. A miraculous intervention, action by God. And those who would deny the virgin birth are those who would deny the very important essence of God's work in who Jesus is. You cannot, in my opinion, in my reading of Scripture, you cannot deny the virgin birth and still presume or believe that Jesus is God. They are intertwined. They are inseparable. And then God the Son, of course, condescending to this moment in time, to this, to this reality of the incarnation, leaving behind his glory, becoming man to dwell amongst us. Just to contemplate those three realities of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that in and of itself should fill us with wonder. How? Why? What kind of love are we talking about that goes to that great of lengths? to connect with people who hate you. And yet he did. Because his love is so deep, so wonderful, so beyond our imagination. And he did it for the third reason the angel gives us, to rescue us from sin. The name Jesus is a derivative of the name Joshua. That's what his mama would have called him. It's Joshua, Yeshua. The name Joshua simply means the Lord rescues. Rescues, he saves. What does he rescue from? He rescues from sin. 
You name him Joshua. You name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, who are his people? Well, you look back earlier in chapter 1, and you, you what? You have a genealogy. You have a list. You have a description of his people. And one of the things that stands out in that list, as we pointed out before, is what? The women. Because typically in genealogies, you don't include the women. But Matthew includes the women here. He includes several. He includes, in verse 3, he includes Tamar. Who was what? She was a Canaanite. Not an Israelite. He includes, in verse 5, Ruth. Who was what? A Moabite. Not an Israelite. He includes... Bathsheba, in verse 6, Uriah's wife, who was what? A Hittite, not an Israelite. Over and over again, we meet these women. Rahab, in verse 5, also a Canaanite. Why include them? Because Matthew wants his readers to understand, he wants us to understand that Jesus' people are not just the Israelites. Jesus' people is humanity. He came to save everybody. He came to rescue them all. He came to transform reality. And as you sit here this morning, as I stand here this morning, mindful of the sins that we ourselves are capable of, the rebellion that so pervades our mindsets and our perspectives, we need to understand, we need to realize, we need to see that Jesus came to rescue us from sin. Not just the penalty of sin, not just the, the curse of, of hell or, or the judgment of God in that sense, but sin itself He came to rescue from us. He came to deliver us, to transform us, to make us what? Paul says, new creation. So how can we regain this wonder? Besides just knowing the facts of who Jesus is and what he came to do, how can we experience the wonder of the moment of Christ's coming, the moment of Christ's calling? Well, I think Joseph sets us up here in terms of who he was to, as a model for some of that. Because he was a man who was prepared to receive the news well. 
He was a man who was what? Who was given, first of all, to reflection. He was thoughtful. Notice what it says there in, in verse 19. He was, he was a just man. But what? He resolved to divorce her quietly. What's that say? It says he considered these things. He weighed these things. How do I respond to this news? That any man in this room would tell you would be devastating to him. You're married, you're betrothed to a woman. You know you haven't been with her, and she comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. There's not a man in this room who would, whose heart would not be ripped apart at that moment. We might do different things with that hurt, but all of us would be severely hurt. And Joseph's response to that hurt is contemplation. What can I do that's best for her? How can I do this? How can I respond in a way that is appropriate to what she obviously has done? Again, he doesn't know yet. That is responsive to what she obviously has done, but also that helps her in the best possible way. And then once the angel has spoken, he's what? He's, he doesn't touch her. He doesn't touch her. They're married now. He has that right, that privilege, that responsibility, some might say. Do it though. He's reflecting. He's thinking. He's contemplating. The bigness of all that he's experienced is something worthy of meditation and thoughts and prayer. And he's going to do just that. Why? Because secondly, he was a man of righteousness. Verse 19, being a just man, being a righteous man, we're told there, and also being unwilling to put her to shame. What does that mean? It means that he was a man who walked with God, who understood God's word, who understood not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of it. And so he's going to do what? He's going to be responsive to what the letter of the law says, but he's going to do so in a way that's mindful of who she is. He is a righteous man. He is a man who understands the heart and mind of God. And intertwined with that is the third thing, that he is a man who is obedient. Verse 24 is such an important passage to this whole thing. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
He did it. Despite the consequences, despite the things he would have to deal with, he was obedient. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that obedience leads to righteousness. The two are intertwined. And because this is the type of man Joseph was, he was able to receive and to respond to the message, the truth of who Jesus is. And to do what was necessary on his shoulders to see Jesus obedient to the law. As we consider Christmas and all that's involved, as we consider the, the wonder of the miracles of God is played out here. We need to be a people who are taking time to reflect in the hustle and the, the rush of all that's going on. Are we reflecting, thinking about, meditating on what God has done in this moment? Are we living through the righteousness that Christ has, has filled us with Walking in a way that reveals Christ, that, that lets the world see the difference this baby made and continues to make. Are we being obedient? Are we trusting God in his word when he tells us to do something, when he calls us to something more? Are we stepping out in faith? doing just that. If we want to truly experience the wonder of Christmas and feel the power of the moment and the transformation of the life that Jesus lived, this is what we're called to. This is what we're called to do. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son, the work he came to do. Jesus, I thank you for your willingness to leave the glory of heaven, to come dwell amongst us. Holy Spirit, I thank you for Instructing us, informing us, clarifying for us the truth of all that this is. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not responded in faith to your offer of salvation, that you would draw them this morning. God, I also pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here that you would help us to regain the wonder of what you have accomplished. Help us, Lord, to be obedient, to live lives of righteousness. To walk in a way that you've called us to. 
Use this time for your purpose. In Christ's name.